In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing the show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Kitty Gold filling in for Michael. Yep. Uh, my my good friend uh, Katie is here, and uh, we're going to be talking about gerrymandering in the United States and some of the some of the recent uh, Supreme Court decisions and some of the recent efforts by states in order to make gerrymandering even worse than it was, if that's even possible. And then we're going to have a discussion about unions and some actual good news on that front, which we don't talk about a lot on this pod. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, and then we're also going to talk about Burning Man and the absolute madness that happened at this year's event over in Nevada. Um, it's just an absolutely crazy event for our what the fuck of the week. Yep, yep. So stay tuned for our miscellaneous what the fuck. It's gonna it's gonna be a fun time. So let's get started. Gerrymandering. So what's going on? Why are we talking about that, Katie? Oh God, there's so much to talk about. So in 2020, we hit our 10 years where we have our census, and every 10 years, we redistrict our congressional districts and our state legislators in most states. But these laws are really hodgepodge across the country in terms of who's in charge of being able to redistrict and what the process is for doing it. So some states have really nonpartisan efforts like Iowa whereas some legislatures are literally redistricted by the legislatures themselves, which has caused a lot of issues, especially in states like Florida and Ohio and other pretty valuable swing states. Yeah, yeah. Virginia actually recently approved an independent uh, redistricting commission a few years ago. So, you know, just a just a little brag about our own state. Um, sorry, Katie. Uh, Katie's from Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> Ohio did too. Thank you very much. Yeah, we but did they actually? Yeah, but did, did it they work? Actually, no, did it work? <laughs> no. <laughs> did we try? Yes. Did it work? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what is kind of funny is that the the lines in Virginia are definitely more representative than they were, but it does mean that my parents are in a red district now. Oh, were they not before? They were not before. They were not before. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, yeah. They're actually in our district, technically. The the this 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 district right here, um, all the so, way up. Damn. Yeah, yeah. So, one of the things to keep in mind when it comes to to the process of gerrymandering is that the Supreme Court in the past has ruled that the courts have no business in telling states whether or not they can do partisan gerrymandering. Mm -hmm. However, they have affirmed that they're allowed to step in if there is racial gerrymandering. The problem is, sometimes it's a little difficult to tell the difference between that because um, so many many voting demographics are heavily based on race. So black Mm -hmm. people are significantly more likely to vote for Democrats than they are to vote for Republicans. Now, Mm -hmm. because of that, it sometimes makes it difficult to prove specifically that 
the redrawing of this district was explicitly racist versus explicitly partisan. Now, effectively, it is racist, but are you going to be able to uh, to uh, convince the Supreme Court of that? And is this Supreme Court going to buy that considering that it is a 6-3 majority for conservatives? But the bigger question is, are states actually going to respect SCOTUS ruling? Yes. And that's something that I think we need to start with this week. Yeah, because in uh, a <laughs> shocking turn of events, the Supreme Court uh, actually, uh, I believe this was back in October, actually declared that Alabama was too racist. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, I think the ruling came out in like, June, it was one of the biggest cases of the session. It was Allen v. Milligan. Yeah. And it held up the voting rights section, uh, section two, which was one of the one of the only ones that really hasn't been decimated by the Supreme Court yeah. in the past. Yeah. Sorry, there was so, a there big was a closed, win for progressives. Yeah. There was a closed, sorry, there was a closed door meeting in October between um between Kavanaugh and Roberts to discuss yeah. this. And then the ruling came came back later, uh, which is which is kind of interesting because yeah. Based on what I've been looking at, as much as, you know, on the pod, we're not the biggest fans of Brett, I like Beer Kavanaugh. Um, he has apparently in the past at least paid lip service to the idea that racism might still exist. Huh. Funny, right? Um, yeah. He's even cited uh like to kill a mockingbird as one of his big inspirations as as a judge. Like and Atticus Finch is being one of his heroes, which you know I I I didn't know that about I didn't know about that um, before looking at this, but yeah. Um, so Kavanaugh and Roberts actually joined together in a majority decision to reject the Alabama uh, the Alabama uh, maps that allowed for only one majority black district, despite the fact that like a third of the population of Alabama is black. So uh, yeah. how, how'd that go, Katie? Uh, I wish I could tell you it went well, but it hasn't gone well. And this is like a last day or two kind of update that's been going on. So basically, Alabama said, fuck the Supreme Court. We're just not going to implement what you said that we should do. And so they reintroduced pretty much like the same map, just reheated with only one majority black district basically saying, screw whatever rulings were done, we're not listening to you. And they're actually trying to get it back up to the Supreme Court so that they can like maybe try to overturn it and get them to have a different ruling, which honestly is just like so shocking, but like also not unexpected. And I I heard some discourse going on on Twitter earlier this week, X, if you want to call it that. I don't call it X because I hate Elon Musk. The X Twitter, I guess. <laughs> the X Twitter. I don't know. It, it was just really interesting discourse about like how Republicans are just so. They used to be rule followers. But it's almost popular these days to like disregard court rulings and federal court rulings in order of just doing what they want and hoping they can get away with it. And it goes well over with the base somehow. Yeah. I I don't know if I agree that Republicans have always been rule followers. <laughs> Just they try I, to be. I mean, they try to posture to be, but um but but yeah, like I remember when when the marriage equality ruling came out, the uh, the uh, Bergefell came out, um 
there was that uh, there was that clerk, um, Kim Davis, I believe was her name, that specifically refused to issue marriage licenses, license, licenses, mm-hmm. whatever, um, licenses in uh, in her district. And Republicans were lauding her as this huge hero, despite the fact that she was blatantly disregarding rules. So I. I don't know. I I I'm not sure I completely agree that they're the big rule followers. But yeah, to to Katie's point, they were explicitly told you have to have at least two majority black districts. And they were like, "Okay, well we know you said that, but we're just not going to do that. Let it go to the Supreme Court again and hope that we get a different ruling." Which I don't like considering the fact that it's pretty much literally the exact same map. Do you think that Kavanaugh's gonna flip? God, no, no. I mean, like, honestly, I don't even think it'll get to the Supreme Court like it did last time. I have a feeling that, I mean, the court has the ability to reject cases that they don't want to pick up. They literally yeah. just ruled on on it this past session. I don't see in any way, like, any world, why they would want to like rehash this. Yeah, and one of the lower courts has already rejected the map, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that means it's that just, if, it's it, confusing. if it does get appealed to the Supreme Court, then or if, if the Supreme Court rather rejects it, then what that means is that the lower court decision is going to stand, which means that the they'll have to throw out the map and redraw it. Now, one question I think is also that should also be asked is, is it are they going to be able to draw up a new map in time for the next election? And maybe that's part of the strategy. Oh, it's absolutely a part of the strategy. And I can tell you it's because Ohio did the same shit this past year. <laughs> so so the, talk, talk to me about what happened in Ohio. Oh, God, it's such a long story. So back in 2017, 2016, Ohio passed a statewide re, well, like gerrymandering redistricting ballot measure. It basically created a like nonpartisan nonpartisan with heavy quotations may i keep in mind <laughs> um this like commission that was made up of legislatures so i believe it included the governor the secretary of state majority leaders from the house on both sides of the party and i think that there were like two other people it ended up being like a 5 to 2 republican split so like Republicans having five members on this commission, Democrats having two. And to pass any kind of map, it had to go through the public. They had public hearings and they had the ability to like have maps from other folks heard and presented and proposed. And for it to be passed, it had to have at least one party, like one member of the minority party sign on to it. But the Republicans were greedy like they were back in 20, 2010, and they gerrymandered the shit out of Ohio's not only state legislature maps, but their congressional maps as well. And it was really looking like it was going to be passed there for a second. But then the Supreme Court, which had a Democratic, like it had a Democratic majority for the first time in a very, very long time. It doesn't anymore. But it was holding up the bill from the maps from being passed because they said that it was unconstitutional constantly they were like it's it's not doing it like the maps like these maps aren't following the rules that like the guidelines came to and then the time like they pretty much just ran the timer up if that Mm. makes any sense like yeah they just kept taking these maps that were getting rejected and rejected and seeing if the court would just like budge and say okay 
And it got to the point where there were supposed to be May primaries, sorry, March primaries, and the March primaries couldn't even happen because they didn't have agreed upon maps. And so the primary got moved back until May, hoping that they could come to some kind of conclusion by then. But then for them to even be able to send out, you know, ballots to military folk that are stationed overseas, to be able to have absentee ballots opening, to be able to have mail-in ballot time, you have to have so many days prior to the election. And so the court eventually just said, we have to have these maps. And they chose these maps that the Republicans drew and it wasn't agreed upon. And so they're technically unconstitutional and the court has said that they're unconstitutional, but for the sake of being able to run the election, they ran on unconstitutional maps. <laughs> wow, that's dirty. <laughs> It, that's a, it's a very, very shortened version of this absolute chaos that has been going on in the state of Ohio. Um, wow. And the worst part about it is that like folks in Ohio, I, I'm, I've done a lot of work with um, ACLU of Ohio, and I, I know a lot of folks up there, and I know that they've been really trying to fight to see if they can get new maps for the 2024 election. But it looks like right now the same maps are going to be used. So that is so basically that is the strategy for Alabama then. It, it probably is. And honestly, like I'm not saying that it's right, but I am saying that it's working for Republicans, unfortunately. That sets kind of a scary precedent. Like oh, I know. Basically, that means that so it is rare that the Supreme Court actually says, Y'all are being so fucking anti-democratic that we're not. We're going to throw out this map. It is very rare for them to do that. But on this one occasion in which they finally do that, they finally actually make a good decision. Republicans are still rejecting it. They're still refusing to refusing to follow it. And they're running out the clocks and they get to use their map. Like their original yeah. map in the that was rejected for being unconstitutional because it was so fucking racist that even this Supreme Court <laughs> said it was too racist well the supreme court of ohio <laughs> yeah but you know what? some problematic well, I, I stuff there about, i was talking about alabama oh we're talking about true. alabama yeah that's true in ohio mike dewine is our governor his son sits on the supreme court and refused to recuse himself from any of the gerrymandering cases wow wow even mike dewine recently came out and said that he supports having an independent redistricting committee because of how bad it got last time did he like it, this went on for like a son? year no 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 um supreme court in ohio is um publicly elected oh okay okay mm -hmm. yeah i was about to i was about to say i i i'm not sure exact i wasn't sure exactly what the yeah. um what the process is in ohio but i was like wait a minute is that this guy didn't appoint no. his son, did he? No, 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 no. He was publicly elected, but still, he didn't recuse himself from the cases, yeah. which is just, like, so crazy to me. And Ohio is just... It, the funny thing is, though, is that the original maps that they created, we, they were expecting to be... There are, like, three super competitive districts, and somehow Democrats did okay in 2022 mm -hmm. in terms of, like, congressional seats. 
They thought that it was going to be a 12 to 3 split, which for Ohio, you know, a swing state in the past, leaning a little bit more right these days, but still not significantly enough to be justifying giving 12 seats to Republicans and three to Democrats. Yeah. It actually ended up being a 10 to 5 split, which is still like two thirds Republican. Like, and that doesn't align with voting, voting charts in the state, anyways. Yeah. But yeah. it's just crazy. Yeah. I mean, I I don't I know I've made this point on the pod before, but this is just the classic Republican strategy that we've been seeing recently because their their policies have been getting more and more unpopular. Yeah. Because, you know, you can make the argument to, that to some extent on cultural issues, there are definitely pockets of the country that have moved farther to the right. But on economic issues, like we have seen a consistent move to the left on various issues such as minimum wage, such as uh, such as health care, um, such as, um, you know, such as health education. We've been seeing a consistent move to the left while the elected Republicans have been moving further and further to the right in, on on these issues. And. If you can't win by having better policies the way that you win is by disenfranchising voters and that is exactly the strategy now i do want to just be clear i'm not saying that democrats don't gerrymander as well oh god yeah look at new york (laughs) yeah look at new york exactly (laughs) look at maryland (laughs) yeah yeah look at maryland look at massachusetts you know like uh, democrats absolutely gerrymander and anybody that says differently is lying to themselves yeah but there is definitely a larger amount of gerrymandering on the right than on the left. And it and in the aggregate, it benefits Republicans more than it benefits Democrats. Now, with all of that being said, I think there's one kind of interesting question that I know that Michael and I have talked about on the pod, but I want to I want to hear your take on it, Katie. Yeah, yeah. Um there have been some people that have made the argument that because Republicans are going to gerrymander, yeah, and they're never going to hold any, they're never going to take any principled uh, stances against it. They're going to gerrymander because that's just part of their electoral strategy. Is it then a responsibility for Democrats in blue states to also gerrymander in order to basically make up the difference? I know that my, Michael and I have talked about this before. I want to hear your take on that. It's like such a tricky question because like fundamentally, I don't think that they should gerrymander or gerrymander to the extent that they are or like could potentially do if they have control in certain states. And honestly, I I think that we can look to a state like Wisconsin Mm. (laughs) and what's been going on in Wisconsin to like to like really like show what upstanding like or or what could happen because like there are some states that do have really great redistricting commissions and honestly personally i think that there needs to be something on the federal level in terms of oh yeah yeah because it's just it's so awful having all these states having such mishmash laws and nothing's that's that's absolutely regular but i know that um wisconsin recently passed a redistricting law that would have like an Iowa type style where it's hmm. drawn by like independent map ma- map makers and there isn't like the legislature isn't really involved in it at all. 
Yeah. Um, his goal is to create competitive seats. And honestly, I think that's a great idea. I don't want to live in a district where it's like super like, oh, it's going to go to the Democrats because I'm in downtown Columbus. And so my yeah. vote doesn't matter because it's so diluted with Democrats or same thing, yeah. vice versa. Like I, there sh- should be competitive races if there should, if there can be. Yeah. But um, this was introduced, but then Republicans in Wisconsin pulled some shit this past week. Yeah. Didn't it? I don't wasn't know. it like um, there was a Supreme Court justice in Wisconsin that was against the uh, th- that was against gerrymandering, an anti gerrymandering uh, judge. And the state legislature basically moved to try to get that just that justice's district like removed. It was something like that. I don't think it was exactly that. I believe. Um, so like the a nonpartisan group was supposed to redistrict their maps and they went through the Supreme Court in trying to have it be done through like, I, I think it was their like legislative commission thing, which is still in the state house technically. But then the governor was like, their, Tony Evers was like, absolutely not. We do not trust any of the redistricting to be done by anyone in the legislature because he doesn't trust Republicans to behave. Like he straight up said that he was like, he doesn't trust the GOP. Yeah. And so I'm really interested to see what happens because he's pretty much just, he's putting his foot down and saying like, no, we're going to have independent maps, whether you like it or not. And your attempt to try to maintain control is going to lose. And they're, they're going to inevitably, especially on their state legislature level, they're definitely going to lose seats Republicans if it's independently drawn because Wisconsin's maps are messy. Yeah. And, and they're actually, so there is a Supreme, I I just pulled this up. There is a Supreme court justice. Is there? Um, I don't know how to pronounce this last name. It's Janet, um, protests. Yeah. Um, and the Republican state legislature is actually trying to get her removed from office because of her opposition to their redistricting maps. Didn't um, she hasn't she like not even been able to rule on a case yet because they've been trying to like impeach her? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I didn't read that specifically, but that that sound that that seems in keeping with with um I I'm pretty sure I read something about that this week. Yeah. So I would here here's what I would say uh to to kind of that question of should Democrats be doing this too? Yeah. I think that if you're going r- right now it is very easy for Democrats to make the argument that they are the pro-democracy party and that Republicans yeah. are the anti-democracy party, given the fact that Republicans are uh, uh, like a lot of elected Republicans are still refusing to condemn the fucking insurrection. Um, the fact that there is still a large contingent of elected Republicans that are consistently trying to pretend that the election was stolen. It is very easy for Democrats to paint themselves as the pro-democracy party. So if they take a principled stance against gerrymandering, then they can keep making that argument. I mean, everybody like everybody hates gerrymandering. You know, every yeah. like regular citizens when we're talking about the electorate, Democrats, Republicans, they hate gerrymandering, all right? You explain oh, it to yeah. them, they say that that's that's just the pinnacle of corruption, all right? Yeah. Democrats need to be the party that people associate with being anti-gerrymandering. All right? Cuz I agree. There are so many people that are just so um, disheartened by the political system that they will see what 
they, they will see what the Democrats are doing, and it's going to make them, I think, more likely to support them. Also, another thing that we've been seeing, to, to, to Katie's point earlier, it is actually better to live in a more competitive district, and not even just competitive district, but competitive state, because what we often find is when you have a heavily red state that kind of gives the Republicans in that state a license to be as dumb as possible because they're never going to lose because they have an R next to their name. And when we see heavily blue states, we often see Democrats basically view it as a license to be as fucking stupid and fucking corrupt as possible because they have a D next to their name. But when we see states such as Minnesota, which is a very like evenly split state that is slightly blue, it's slightly blue of purple, they have done more with a one-seat majority in the Senate oh, than New York has done with a fucking supermajority. Yeah, no, it's like Tim Waltz. I, I saw this take back when he first announced like everything that they were doing and all these packages that they had passed. And he had something to the point of like, we're not here to collect political capital over the long term. We're here to make change in people's lives when we can. Yeah. Like recognizing the fact that like their majority is temporary and it may not be longer than two years, but like might as well just say screw it and do whatever the hell they can, even if it doesn't mean that they get elected in two years, but at least they did something and they have something to show for it. Yeah. And I, I think mean, that that's how more people should run in terms of politics. I mean, that's kind of what's happened in Virginia, too. Like, yeah. back when Virginia had the, the trifecta, um, they abolished the death penalty. They raised the minimum wage. They um, they brought back, I, I believe they brought back collective bargaining. They did not overturn right to work, but I, I believe mm. they did bring back collective bargaining. They legalized marijuana. Like, there was a, there's a pretty... There's a pretty decent package of progressive priorities that in that brief time in which they had uh, they had the majority, um, they worked on getting stuff done and was and and, and Minnesota did even more. Like they they did free school lunches, free school lunches. <laughs> but you have to admit, the bar is in hell for that one. <laughs> true. True. It's the, sad that we're celebrating these wins that are just like such basic things of like, oh yeah, yeah, that should probably be a thing. But the point is, I think that gerrymandering, being against gerrymandering on both a Democratic level and a Republican level is how you get better candidates that actually do something with their power. Um, For real. You know, you're going to you're gonna have higher quality candidates that have to mm -hmm. actually be smart in their argumentation. Um, and actually have to appeal to people, appeal to what is actually popular uh, in order to actually win. So yeah, more account more accountable to their constituents. Yeah, more accountable their to their constituents. All right. That's ultimately, I think that um that's the best conclusion to be drawn. And the fact that the fact that Republicans at this point are like blatantly um just ignoring the Supreme Court's modest critique on their map. Like they they said, they said all you need is just two, two districts that are majority black. Just two districts that are majority black in a in a state where like a third of the population is black. That is fucking modest. All right. Yeah. And like 
not to bring up he who shall not, not be named, um, DeSantis. Um, you saw what happened in Florida this past week, right? Too. I I I did not see it. No. Oh my God! Yeah, no. So back when Florida redistricted, they gerrymandered the shit out of their state. That I did know. Like, yeah, they gerrymandered so badly they flipped a ton of seats to the Republicans, but. Um, there is a federal judge under the same pretenses as Alabama called them out for racially gerrymandering one of their one of their congressional seats, I think, like out of existence. And it was yeah. a it was a black um, representative and it yeah. like cracked the entire vote across like five or six different plate, like different counties and different um, congressional seats. And. I'm interested to see what happens with that because yeah. Ron DeSantis quite literally said, hey, state legislature, I'm making a map that I think you should pass. And the state legislator was like, hey, that's probably not cool, but we'll do it, I guess, Mr. DeSantis. And so they passed it and now it's under the same scrutiny. So I'm, I'm interested to see if like that gets taken up to a higher court. And if that is the case, honestly, like with all these places that are having to redraw lines and with such a slim majority that's dividing the house, like I could easily see just basically redistricting cases, swinging the, like who's in control of the house in 2024, plain and simple. So now for more lighthearted conversation, let's talk about good actually. Nathan, what is good actually? Please explain. Well, Katie, good actually is something that we do every now and then because the world sucks. You know, yeah. You look does. around and you just see steaming piles of shit everywhere. <laughs> but every now and then, when you wipe away the shit, you might discover that one of those piles of shit was actually a chocolate cake. And then you realize that you're me and you don't actually like chocolate cake. So you keep looking to actually find something that's good. And then you find some vanilla cupcakes and you're like, huh, vanilla cupcakes are good. And then you look around and you start seeing vanilla cupcakes everywhere. And you realize that, you know what? Good actually is all around us. Nathan, I'm judging you for liking vanilla cupcakes and not liking chocolate. It's chocolate's bitter. I'm sorry. It's it's bitter. I'm bitter about your food opinions. <laughs> so anyways, our good actually this week involves one of our favorite plants, marijuana. Um, so this last week, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, under the um, under the request of Joe Biden, under the 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 behest of Joe Biden or however you might say it, um, has officially recommended that marijuana be taken down from a Schedule One drug to a Schedule Three drug. Um, the DEA has to officially um, affirm this and, uh, and, and decide if it's going to follow those recommendations, but it's looking pretty good. Now, here's how big that is. So marijuana is currently a Schedule One drug, which is specifically a specific classification given to drugs that have a high likelihood of of abuse and no medical uses which is just fucking wrong when it comes to marijuana like they are putting marijuana in the same category as heroin and LSD when whack. marijuana based on all based on all science it 
to some extent is psychologically addictive, but it is not physically addictive. All right. And it does have medical benefits. Many. So it is being classified down. It is being descheduled. If if this were to go through, it would be yeah. descheduled to a schedule three drug, which is a categorization. This is according to Politico, a categorization that is uh, reserved for drugs that have moderate to low potential for physical and psychological dependence. So kind of uh, kind of in the same category as like testosterone. Right? Okay, I was going to say, do you have any like examples of other Schedule Three drugs? Yeah, yeah, uh, testosterone, uh, ketamine. Um, okay. So it'll it'll be basically in that category now. Interesting. As is typical Biden fashion, you know, this is one of those things that doesn't go far enough, but it is one of the biggest significant advances in drug policy in like the last ten decades. Um, Absolutely. So. This is a good thing. This is, yeah. you know, this is this happening is a is better than it not happening. It is unapologetically a good thing and credit to the Biden administration for this. Do you know if it like is only on the federal level or if this applies to the states as well? Because this is a federal order, I think it would just apply to a federal level in terms of classification, so it wouldn't necessarily um affect it its legalization in states that where it's illegal, but mm-hmm. it should make it easier for states that are trying to make it legal to make it legal. Um, now, yeah. the Biden administration has previously said that they're not really going to be stepping in on states with that anyway, but this is still an important step uh, in terms of federal enforcement. Um, and it's something that is, I mean, a long time coming. <laughs> I mean, not to input my more Ohio things, but to talk about Ohio a little bit more. Um, Ohio has a recreational marijuana ballot measure that mm. will be on the ballot in 2023, How coupled with a reproductive rights amendment. Solid. It is quite literally the Barbenheimer for Ohio progressives. <laughs> <laughs> and if the state of Ohio actually sends me my ballot this year, I will be very excited to vote in it. <laughs> they didn't they haven't sent me my last two ballots that I've like done from out of state. Really? They haven't sent me them. Yeah, they're like we didn't get it in time. You either drive home or you mm. vote from here or like you just don't vote. And so like I didn't get to vote in the in the midterms and I was so mad about it. Thanks. Have you requested your ballot? already or are you able to I don't to think yet? you I, I don't think you can until October. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I know that early voting for Virginia starts pretty soon and I'm probably going to do like early in-person voting. That makes um, sense. And that's good actually. Great ex- great news. I'm so excited. So now we're going to be talking about unions. Our our unions. favorite uh our favorite initiative for workers to have a modicum of say in their lives yeah like one of the only things that we can do to try to like combat the hellscape that is capitalism (laughs) yeah (laughs) or as representative virginia fox of north carolina would say uh, unions are a um, concentrated effort to chip away at workers rights which is just inherently wrong yeah yeah so so there's there's a big decision that came out recently from the nlrb that we will discuss 
Um, there's probably a few other things that we want to get to before that, but um, there's some actually really good news on the front of unions uh, to discuss on that. And um, Fox basically said that the ability to allow people to, you know, to actually have unions is chipping away at people's rights and forcing Americans into a union, which is which is always funny to, it, which is always funny to think about, considering that I'm. Um, Literally, unions are the only way in which workers can have legitimate power against their employers. So, like, giving them power to negotiate apparently takes away their power. Oh, no, I don't want to be exploited as a worker. Yeah. Ah, ha, ha. Yeah. But you know what? There's been some big stuff going on even today. Like, really, really big thing. What happened, Katie? Um, the UAW is officially going on strike, it looks like. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of discussion about whether it would actually get to the point where there would need a strike, but it does look like all three of the automakers in the Detroit area that were being targeted have not met the demands of the union, which have been honestly genuinely very reasonable. Um, the union came in with the demands that they wanted to have their pensions restored, which again, reasonable so reasonable they wanted to go down to a 32 hour work week so that would be like a four day work week for some folks um and they also wanted to have job security and a 40% pay hike but honestly the pay hike their reasoning for it is because of how much money these card companies have been break- have been bringing in it just hasn't kept up with the amount that the workers are being paid so if they're having all these profits why aren't the workers seeing any of it? Yeah. And, and the so, auto industry yeah. is a huge part of our economy. Um, yeah. In fact, according to the Associated Press, it accounts for 3% of the nation's gross domestic product. Which is crazy. From one industry, 3%. Um, yeah. And there's definitely, there's definitely an open question as to whether or not the Biden administration is going to support this particular um, this particular strike. Because on one hand, he has been trying to bank to to sell himself as the most pro-union president uh, in you know in recent history. Um, at the same time, though, we all saw how he kind of uh, he kind of stabbed rail workers in the back. Yeah, uh, during the negotiation. The yeah, dur- during the negotiation process for uh, during the railway strike. Now, yeah. part of that does come down to the fact that a lot of the United States economy is based on uh is heavily dependent on rail workers and similar to that like i said about 3% of the United States gross domestic product uh is made up of the US auto industry so this being shut down is going to have a major impact on the United States economy and there is a question as to whether or not the Biden administration is going to you know, prioritize getting them back to work or actually trying to get their demands met. Um, he dropped yeah. the ball with the railroad work, railroad workers. So I don't know. What do you think, Katie? I know, uh, like, according to the Reuters article that I was reading earlier, um, it looks like there have been quite a few, um, like the Biden administration is getting pretty heavily involved in this already. Um, since it's coming down to the deadline, I know that they've been encouraging like 24-7 working on trying to figure out a deal. But honestly, I just don't know if it's enough. Like 
there have been over 200 strikes this year across the across different industries and honestly the Biden administration hasn't really stood up for anyone in particular yeah and honestly that kind of does run me the wrong way yeah one thing that I think is kind of funny is that Trump has actually been trying to um to court the uh uh United Auto Workers kind of in the lead up to this specifically cite well specifically citing Biden's initiative for um I think it was like uh two thirds of the uh auto industry to be electric by 2032 and he basically like Trump released a statement today where he said, quote, stand strong against Biden's vicious attack on American labor and American auto workers. If you want more jobs, higher wages and soaring pensions, vote for President Trump and have your leaders endorse me. If they don't drop out of the union and start a new one, that's going to protect your interests. Right. And what's kind of funny is that the, um, the United, the United auto workers, uh, regional manager in Ohio responded to that and basically saying, uh, quote, the, the former president, quote, carries no credibility in my book um, since he, quote, did nothing to support organized labor except lip service. So real. So basically the union workers, you know, it, it's one of those cases of like, oh, you're you're criticizing you're, you're criticizing Biden here. Well, I guess that means you're on my side. And they're like, no, we hate you even more. Yeah. <laughs> No, and I just think it goes to show how out of touch Washington and so many of our politicians yeah. are with the fact that like a normal everyday people are so sick and tired of our current conditions. Yeah. And they're willing to and they're excited to join unions and be involved in strikes to make sure that like their basic needs are met. Yeah. Ugh. I I no. I I agree. Um I mean, you definitely do see a huge difference between politicians that are just doing lip service and politicians that are actually doing something. And Biden's been an interesting case of kind of a mix of both. Yeah. There's one thing that his administration has done recently that might actually be the biggest pro-union step in like the last five decades or so. Bill Nathan, tell me about it. So the United States National Labor Relations Board, uh, also known as Mm -hmm. the uh, NLRB, Mm -hmm. um, released a new policy recently. The board, in a uh, three to four decision, decided to implement a policy that was originally a doctrine created uh, in the 1940s in which um, employers have to bargain with unions unless they have a good faith good faith doubt that a majority exists this is called the joy silk doctrine and in fact the joy silk doctrine was taken even further in 1970s where they imposed a standard that said um that the NLRB could actually force employers to bargain when they engaged in misconduct so severe that the election would be tainted and both aspects of that particular uh, of that particular policy, which was abandoned under uh, you'll never guess who Reagan, um, of course, has now been revived. So here's what that means: if there is uh, a majority 
of people that want a union, a clear majority of people, mm-hmm. the employers will automatically have to bargain with them. Okay. If they want to question whether or not there actually is a majority, they can file a petition for the um, for there to be an election. But if at any point in the lead up to that election, it is discovered that they do anything to try to taint the election, automatically a union is created and automatically they have to bargain with the workers. Wow. I would just love it if this could impact all the Star- Starbucks workers that are trying to unionize right now. Yeah. This originally started because there was a investigation into um, uh, Chemex. I believe that's that, that's how you say it. Um, the uh, cement truck drivers. And there was an administrative judge in 2021 that found that uh, Chemex had committed more than two dozen unfavor unfair labor labor practices, including threatening, surveilling, and interrogating workers. Uh, this is all according to Reuters, by the way, um, and hiring security guards to intimidate them shortly before the election. So basically, actions like that under this new ruling would mean that automatically the employers will now have to bargain with the unions. Huh. This is massive. This yeah, is like that's major. This might be one of the best things that the Biden administration has ever done. And I and I say that as somebody that is actively critical of the Biden administration on many levels. Um yeah. this is this is this is massive. And yeah. you know, I will say I was honestly considering in the primary doing a protest vote for Marion Williamson just because I've been so pissed off at Biden. I don't know. This 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 might have clenched my vote for Biden. I was gonna say Nathan, I would judge you for voting for Marion Williamson. I'm not gonna lie. Over Biden, and it would be a protest vote. And actually, if you've if you've looked at her new platform, um, her new website, it's actually pretty in depth. It's not bad. I just uh, can't get over the fact that she was like pretty like low key anti vax. She's she's addressed that in the. She, she was anti-mandate. She wasn't anti-vax. She was anti-mandate, oh, which she's sure. still wrong. I, I think she's still wrong about that. But she was she was never anti-vax. She was anti-mandate. That's fair. You know, I'm really interested to see if this potential new like guidance would change. So, like, if we haven't mentioned, I'm a graduate student right now, and um, there have been a lot of different um schools and universities that have had their graduate students try to form a union within the last like two years or so most notably last year there was a really big incident that happened at temple university i don't know if you followed this at all nathan but um basically what happened at temple is their graduate students tried to start a union because they just like being in philadelphia were not getting paid enough with their stipends to have like a living wage which like so reasonable yeah yeah. um i was a graduate student student once (laughs) yes like grad students do so much work and um they threatened these students who were trying to protest and create this union by threatening to take away their tuition Hmm. like their tuition covers and so like those who were threatening to unionize they literally had like statements in their bank account that like forced them to pay for their whole tuition even if they had scholarships basically threatening them yeah and so i'd be really interested to see if something like that that might apply to well yeah i don't know um i mean i was a graduate student once and i you will not hear any 
objections from me about about that. Um, I I uh, was supporting uh, my I was supporting my wife and me on nine fifty a month in Iowa, and we it was it was a it was a rough time. So I I definitely uh, I definitely sympathize with that, and I I. I, I'm not sure if this would affect graduate yeah. students because I think because graduate students are kind of in a in a different category in terms of official yeah. worker because like they're a hybrid of being an employee of the university and a student of the university. Yeah. So I I Be really don't know. Yeah. But honestly, so like the main defining point between you and I, Nathan, is the fact that you're a millennial and the fact that I'm a Gen Z. Yeah. A Gen Z born. After the year 2000. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, were you actually born after the year 2000? Yeah, I was born in 2000. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, however the year is is my age, yeah. That's that's weird. (laughs) Oh, I know. Don't trust me. Don't worry. Um, I asked my students on Monday. um, I was playing a game with them, and (laughs) I told them to come up with jargon from the year 2012, and they said, hey, we don't know any jargon from the year 2012. We were like seven years old. And I was like, what are you talking about? You were seven years old in 2012. (laughs) And that was the first time I have felt aged since since I have been in grad school. Um, But talking about Gen Z, apparently we are the most pro-union generation. Yeah. Ever like even baby boomers at the height of unions weren't even pro as pro union as Gen Z currently is. Yeah, well, millennials are plenty uh, pro union. The problem is, yeah, we've just been fucked over so much we have no hope. True, like so valid. <laughs> like we have absolutely no hope for anything. Like we came of age and then you know and then Trump was president and we're just like, well, good things are not possible. <laughs> For real. So, I mean, like the so, early end of your generation had the recession and then yep. the later end of it had Trump. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot of there was a lot of hope in Obama and he was just kind of really mediocre. And then there was hope in like there was hope in Bernie. And then that didn't happen. And then we tried to squeeze out hope for Hillary. And then that didn't happen. And then Trump just happened and we just decided, you know what? Hope is overrated fuck the world (laughs) no for real oh but also on the tone of unions first off selfishly i want the wga um strike to end personally because honestly i really miss listening to seth meyers in the morning (laughs) i do i do super embarrassingly (laughs) i do miss that too i i i will say i hope that it ends soon because the demands are met I same. I, I really want the demands to be met. And what's been really interesting to me this week has been the true Barrymore controversy. Yeah, I I saw something small about that. Like, what's what's yeah. that about? What's that? Yeah. About? So apparently, um, Drew Barrymore is a scab, hmm. and she's continuing on. Like, she started refilming her talk show, which technically like falls under the WGA kind of guidelines, and so she's pretty much like crossing the picket line for the most part even though she is a member of SAG-AFTRA 
Interesting. I'm sure that she she might be a member of the WGA. I don't know. But apparently she was like throwing people out of her recordings, like in her audience that had like buttons supporting the union on. And she she had to expect that people were going to be calling you out for that. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. And she's just like been very unapologetic. She's like, we're going back. And it's just like so crazy because Drew, Drew has like such a positive, you know, reputation for the most part. Yeah. And for her to kind of do this, it, it just seems very uncharacteristic, honestly. Yeah. And con- like considering the fact that like people have been so good about like respecting both of these strikes that are going on in the media industry. It's just kind of shocking to me. Yeah. All right, so now it's time for a segment called Miscellaneous What the Fuck. Nathan, please explain to me what this is. Yeah, so on this show, we have our ass hat of the week for particularly heinous individuals, and we have our D-bag award for people that make stupid fucking arguments. But every now and then, a story comes out in which someone's not necessarily heinous, and they don't necessarily make a bad argument. But it just makes us say, what the fuck? So, Katie, what is our miscellaneous what the fuck this week? Honestly, I don't know if it's a miscellaneous what the fuck, but more so a this is funny kind of what the fuck. Um, Just like a, it makes me feel good sometimes. So Burning Man is this festival that happens in the middle of the Nevada desert every single year. It was like created under under the pretense of like counterculture things being like having like t- like ten trade rules that like these people only trade their goods. It's anti capitalist. It's supposed to be this collective community coming together. It's like eighty thousand people in the middle of the desert, and they just kind of like live in harmony, I guess. Okay. But in recent years, it's kind of become a status symbol of sorts Hmm. kind of becoming like coachella in a way where it's like the rich and the famous Uh. have started making it their own thing and it's because of like all these super wealthy like one percenters being at this thing they've kind of like pretty much taken away a lot of the original meaning of what burning man was and so this year was a particular (laughs) interesting event so this playa that this festival occurs on is like the remnants of a dried up lake. Hmm. And so whenever it rains in this area, this mud forms and this mud is so sticky and so deep. And it like is really corrosive and irritating to the skin that like people kept getting stuck. Like people were trying to get out because they had no supplies. They couldn't get like, food they couldn't get water they were stuck they couldn't go out or else they would like literally get stuck in the mud trying to walk and people were like getting their vehicles stuck and they had to be like there were mass evacuations and it's just so interesting to me so it's like this happened so it's like the rich retreating from society yeah because they don't need the plebs and then they realized oh fuck we actually need them (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it was just it felt good to know that rich people were stuck in the desert. <laughs> Honestly. 
<laughs> and I mean, and they're, and they're to be clear, they're they're all going to be all right. Like you know, they're fine. It's, oh my it's god, an, it's an inconvenience for them. It's not like we wish. It's not like we wish harm on them. It's an inconvenience for them, but it's a funny inconvenience. It's a funny inconvenience. To be fair, like to be fair, there was one person that did pass away at oh. the festival because of the conditions, and so that was really not great. But yeah. also, they're building a desert city that like isn't supposed to be there. Yeah. And it, it also dredges up a lot of questions about climate change. There were actually major climate protesters. So to get to the playa itself, there is a one road access point, And it is one way. It's not even a real road. And so when people started coming to the festival, there were a whole bunch of climate activists that were sitting there blocking the entrance to this road. And a lot of like park rangers and law enforcement came and they were literally like dragging these protesters off the road because these protesters were really frustrated about how literally 80,000 people go into the desert and try to like create this like fake city for weeks on end. Hmm. And it's really damaging to the climate and to the area, generally speaking. And so like they make good points, but. I don't know. Mm. I think it's personally interesting, but also funny that they got stuck in the rain. And that's miscellaneous. What the fuck? So now we're going to end our show tonight as we usually do with our highlights. So Katie, what was your highlight this week? My highlight of the week hasn't quite happened yet. Um, Tomorrow. I have one of my best friends from undergrad coming to visit me for the weekend, and I haven't seen her in a long time, so it'll be really nice to catch up with her. Awesome. Awesome. Love to hear it. It's funny how sometimes freshman year roommates do stay friends. A rarity. Yeah. But great when it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. Nathan, what about you? What's been your highlight? So my highlight is, I'm pretty sure this is actually the same highlight from um, the last time we recorded, but it continues to be Starfield. Um, <laughs> Starfield is a fucking great game. I mean, I, I started out playing it. I was still getting a feel for it. Um, around the time that I had that, that we had recorded it, I had literally, it was like the set my second day playing it. And I was still kind of just like, yeah, I don't know, like. I'm sure I'm going to like it, but I'm just still figuring it out. Um, I've now I've now played it for the last few weeks, and it is a fucking great game. Bethesda Game Studios they nailed it again. And to all those people that are trying to to bomb it because they were all like pissed off at like oh it's an Xbox exclusive, get a fucking PC first of all, and second all second of all, um, it's a great game. Just 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 shut up. You know, just shut up and enjoy it uh, and get a PC. Um, and also, you know, on, on, on top of that, like if you if you don't like it, then fine. You know, you it's OK to be wrong about some things. But like it's a it's I've, I've been really enjoying it. And yeah, it is. It has been everything that I wanted it to be. So with that and with that, we will give some thank yous to the people that make this show possible. So thank you to our patrons out on Patreon. Um, so a special thank you to Jerry DeViller, Kyle Chaska, Taylor Bloom, Fade Out Scoop, and Tobias Janssen 
Um, and if you want to support us on Patreon, head over to uh, patreon.com slash the perspectrum. And of course, a huge thank you to our editor, Kayla, for everything they do to make this show possible. And to you, d- dear listener, for listening to The Perspectrum. And you'll hear from us again next week. <laughs>